Hi, and welcome to another Kirky Free Sermons podcast. We hope that our sermons help you further your understanding of the Word of God and guide you into your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're tuning in on podcast or radio, we're glad that you're here today. Let's jump into this week's message. So Mark chapter 12, and I'd like you to look with me beginning at verse 18. Now, if you're able... Please stand with me as we read God's Word. It says here, And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take a widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, and leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead but of the living, you are quite wrong. You can be seated. Lord, for your name's sake, I ask that you would give to us understanding about the things of which we have just read. In Jesus' name, amen. What you and I just looked up has to be about one of the most important things that anyone could talk about. What's at stake here is nothing less than hope. This is about what our real hope is. That is, what comes next after this life. Now, I'm sure that you've heard many different things from many different people about what comes next. You know, some say that uh, we're just going to come back again, but we're going to be given a, a different body. Of course, that whole idea comes out of Eastern religion, and that once you die, you'll return to this earth, but perhaps in some other animal or human being or so forth. Uh, Some say we'll have no body and no soul. Now, these views aren't new. Uh, In fact, people have been 
espousing them for ages, even in Jesus' day. In fact, when we come to these verses, you just read about a group that claimed that when we die, there's nothing else. But get this, they base their conclusion on Scripture. They said, when we die, there is nothing else. The thing that gets me is they say Scripture confirms that. And I'm going to ask you something. Is that what the Bible really says? You know, there's a reason that these guys have brought this particular issue to Jesus. By now, if you've been reading in the book of Mark with us, you'll know that three times Jesus has not only predicted his death, but also this, that he will be raised to life again. Jesus believes in resurrection. But you also know this, that at this point in the gospel of Mark, Jesus is in the temple. It is the last week of his life. He has upset the religious leaders, and all of them have come out against him, right? They want him out. And so we have met several characters along the way. We've looked at several rounds of debate with Jesus, right? Uh, Who we've met so far. Well, in round one, remember, we met the Sanhedrin. Remember, that was the Jewish uh, Supreme Court, if you will. They handled all the legal and religious matters of the day. And they questioned Jesus about his authority. Well, Jesus had a question for them too, and they couldn't answer it. And then last week, we looked at round two. Okay, and, and there we met these two groups. Remember the Pharisees? Those were your uh, right-wing nationalist guys, legalists. And uh, they were the ones who were pro-Israel, right? But surprisingly... They came with another group called the Herodians. Remember, they were your left-wing, kind of liberal, Rome-supporting Jews of Jesus' day. And what brought them together was they thought they could trap Jesus in a a no-win situation so that no matter what he answered, they had something to accuse him of. Of course, Jesus saw right through it and uh, spoke the truth to them and left them again with nothing to say. So, so far, we've had these two encounters, but... Here we meet a third group, right? We are now in round three, beginning in verse 18. And we we meet this group called the Sadducees. Okay, now, who were these guys? Now, when you read of the Sadducees, several things you should know. Okay, they are what you might call the aristocracy of society. They are the topmost class and they saw themselves as, as such. They were wealthy, and they looked at themselves as being superior to everybody else. Uh, Josephus, who is the Roman historian, said that uh, the Sadducees were known for being boorish in their behavior and utterly rude in conversation. Okay. So uh, these were not the guys that you invited over to your dinner party. Okay. Uh, they were also, you should know this, that they controlled the priesthood. So the high priest at this time, he was a Sadducee. Being priests, they were the religious rulers who, along with the Pharisees, uh, were the leaders of God's people. But they were also distinct from the Pharisees in some significant ways. Uh, The first thing that you see here is that with regards to doctrine. 
Because you see what Mark says there about them in verse 18? And Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. Mark's careful to point this out to us, the readers, that we would know this about them. They taught that when the body dies, the soul dies with it. And you ask, and well, you ought to, how in the world did they arrive at that conclusion? Well, another distinctive about the Sadducees was this, okay? They only saw the first five books of the Old Testament. So you remember those, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five as authoritative. Everything else, the writings, the prophets, the Psalms, this was all second class to them. So anything that came out of those other writings was just, well, just theological innovation. But if a doctrine could not be established in those first five books, then it was false. So this explains why they come to Jesus with a particular question that's based off of something Moses said, right? Notice verse 19. Here's their question to Jesus. Teacher, uh, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. You can look that up in Deuteronomy 25. It was a law. Um, it was, they were to remain in the family. So if a, a man died and he died childless, that man's brother was to take that woman, that widow, as his wife and raise up a child for her. It was about continuing the family name. Okay? So they say this hypothetical situation, verse 20. Suppose there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. And now they come to their point in verse 23. In the resurrection, they ask, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Okay, here's what they're getting at here. Jesus, believing in a resurrection makes you look foolish. Okay, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It created a problematic scenario, right? They ask, whose wife will she be? And here's what you need to know is that most rabbis, most teachers and Pharisees of the day believe that in the life to come, everything that happened here on earth is basically just going to continue. So things like marriage are still going to be intact. Those relationships will still exist. But this presents a problem, right? Would God permit polygamy in the life to come? So either Moses is right, okay, and the resurrection is wrong, or something's amiss, right? So they, with the smug looks on their faces, pose this problematic situation to Jesus and laugh, right? How ridiculous to believe in a resurrection. And they think they have him, right? But Jesus isn't laughing here, is he? Without a moment's hesitation, he hits the nail on the head, verse 24. Now notice, right? Here's Jesus setting the record straight. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Okay. The word for wrong can mean deceived. You have 
wandered off course. You've been led astray. You're off base. And that's what happened. They've, they've come to wrong conclusions about God. Why? Because they failed to know God's word and God's power. Now, Jesus is going to get to that in a moment. But first he speaks, okay, to the supremacy of the resurrection. You say, what do I mean by that? Look at verse 25. Here's Jesus' clarification. He says this, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. In other words, Jesus says, Your scenario is a moot point. Because in this age, that happens, but in the age to come, people aren't given in marriage, and they do not marry. You're going to be, the only thing close to it are the angels. So Josh, Pastor Josh, do you mean to tell me that there's not going to be, I'm not going to be married to my spouse in heaven? Now, how many of you hear that and you think, well, that kind of makes me sad. Yeah, right? Well, I'm glad. I hope that some of you are saddened by that, right? Just that that's your natural reaction to think, oh, I, I, I like being married to my spouse. But I want you to think of it this way. Don't think of it as a loss, okay? You are going to have a better relationship with your spouse then. You're going to have a richer connection with them then. No, you will not be sexually intimate, okay? But once again, Scripture says that this is no loss. It's just... It's hard for us to imagine that there is something greater than what we have known and experienced here on earth. But maybe you ask, well, why is there not marriage in heaven? Okay. Well, it helps to understand what did God design marriage for in the first place? Okay. So we see these things. Consider this, okay? Number one, for companionship. And you can go and look this up, but Genesis 2, verses 18 to 24. God made man, and after he did so, he said, you know what, it's not good for him to be alone. So what did he do? He fashioned woman, and he brought her to him, right? So God made marriage on this life for companionship. But think of this, okay? At the resurrection, that need is satisfied. You say, what do you mean? In heaven, you are going to have God, the Lord, as your companion, is your close friend. Okay, That's not to say that you will lose relationships with the people you know, but you will no longer have the need of it as you do down here. Okay. So we see that at the resurrection, the place of marriage is surpassed. Number two, God gave marriage for procreation. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. Hey, marriage is God's ordained means through which we are fruitful, in which we multiply and fill the earth. That was God's mandate, okay? But what about those in heaven? Are they there because of, they've been reproduced in heaven? No. All those who are there in heaven are there because they've been born of God, right, through faith in Jesus Christ. So at the resurrection, that purpose is complete. All those whom God has mean to come into existence have come into existence. It is done. That is for this age and not for the age to come. Lastly, number three, consider this, that God designed marriage for this. For an illustration, Ephesians 5, right, 31 and 32. In other words, the marriages that we have here down on earth are a, a picture. They're meant to illustrate for us what is ultimate and what is reality. You say, what's that? It is Jesus and his love for his church. That's you and me. Okay, so think of it then. At the resurrection, 
this goal is realized. So it wouldn't quite be accurate to say that there is no marriage in heaven. There is, but there's only one. Right? It's between you and the Lord. And all marriages down here are pointing to this, to that, to that relationship. So when we get to there, those signposts, those things that illustrated marriage are no longer needed. One person wrote this, our relationship with Jesus and all our brothers and sisters will be so intense and so filled with love and affection that all earthly marital bliss will seem shallow and small in comparison. We just can hardly fathom what life and the resurrection will be like. Jesus says, your idea of heaven is a little too much like earth. But then he moves from the supremacy of the, of the resurrection to number two, the certainty of the resurrection. All right, verse 26, Jesus says this, And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. We're getting back to that question we started with, right? What does God's word really say about the life to come? You know, what's interesting is that Jesus could have gone to a number of Old Testament passages to share and to affirm the teaching about the resurrection. Remember Daniel 12, verse 2? And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, okay? Or how about Isaiah 26, 19? Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. Uh, Job, the earliest book of the Bible, said this. That man said this. After my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. So Jesus could have gone to a number of places to prove that the Old Testament teaches resurrection. But instead, he turns to this passage. Look at it. Exodus 3, verse 6. Have you not read this? When God said to Moses out of the bush, remember this? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He said, well, why? Why would Jesus reference Exodus? Remember who he's talking to. These are the guys who only look at the first five books of the Bible. So Jesus says, all right, I'll come to you on your terms. And I'll prove to you from Moses that there will be a resurrection. He says, don't you remember this? The time when Moses heard God speaking out of the bush, he said, well, who could forget it? Everyone knew that moment. Well, remember what he said? God said, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then Jesus says, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know what? That's a little bit uh, over my head. What does I am the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac have to do with resurrection? Listen, my friends, everything. <laughs> everything. Listen, God made a promise to Abraham, listen, and to his offspring. And was it fulfilled? Not in their lifetime. So in other words, did death cancel God's promise? As in, well, it was only as good for as long as they lived, but once they died, well, then God's promise, well, it no longer applies. Okay? No, God's declaration to Moses was, I am 
the God. Spoken hundreds of years later after these guys have already died, right? What, that, what he's saying is the fulfillment of their promises that God gave them necessitates a resurrection, okay? In other words, we could say it this way. Why this matters? Listen, denying the resurrection gave death the final word. And it cut short the power of the promise-keeping God. My friends, they should have read their Bibles more carefully. You realize that Jesus makes his point on the single tense of a verb. Should you study your Bible? Yes, you should. Jesus isn't drawing something out that's not there. He's just observing something that is. It's more serious than you think. Because by misreading the text, you know what they did? They denied God's power. And you know what? We have a way of doing that too. We say things like, you know what? God can't help here. God can't do anything about my situation. My life, it's beyond hope. My problem, beyond his hand. Do you realize that you are denying the power, the ability of God? Let me ask you something. Is your situation, whatever problem it is that you're encountering, is it as final? It is, as, is it as unchangeable as death? Is it? Listen, there's no situation I can think of on earth as unchangeable as that, right? And yet, I'm going to ask you, is death more powerful than God? Is it? You know, you know what the Sadducees should have reckoned with? Just a few days prior to this moment, this conversation, Jesus walked up to a tomb of a man who had been dead for four days. And he said, Lazarus, come on out. And he did. Listen, if the greatest enemy that you and I face, which is death, is overthrown by the Son of Man, what is your problem to him? Right? You think addiction is too mighty? You think the pain of your past is too overbearing, too suppressing? The guilt of your sins too heavy? Not for him. You think your way has been too far lost? You can't get back to him? The mental fog is too thick? Indeed, it is for you, but not for him. He is still calling people out of the impossibles. Jesus, as James Edwards said, did not just announce the resurrection. He is the resurrection. Remember John 11? Jesus said this to his friend who had just said goodbye to Lazarus, the man we just talked about. And Jesus came to her and said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks, do you believe this? And my prayer would be that your heart would rebound with Martha who said, 
Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Listen. So what does Scripture say about the afterlife? It says that there will be a resurrection. It is supreme. It's good. It's a fact. It is certain. But it will be better, not worse, than anything that we have known here. Listen, I know you know of God's power because you've all read it here. You know that Jesus was raised to life. But have you experienced it? Do you know it personally? Listen, if it is not true, then let's get out of here. Let's close your Bibles. Go put them on the shelf. Let's drain the water out of the tub and forget it. But if it is true, then listen, you and I have something to celebrate. Jesus is alive, and he is coming and raising everyone who turns to him to life again. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, there is no good reason that anyone in here today should not turn to you and experience for themselves what it means to have new life. You are the living water. And Lord Jesus, nothing in this life compares. Without you, we are a big, empty hole. So God, fill us and send us out with this good, fulfilling message that people need to hear. There's something that we have to look forward to. Thank you for this hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. This message was brought to you by the Kirkoven Evangelical Free Church of Kirkoven, Minnesota. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please email us at kirkefree at gmail.com. That's K-E-R-K-E-free at gmail.com.